0: From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services, this is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And my guest today is Liam O'Shea Creel. Mr. Creel is a co-sponsored seminarian with hopes of going into the U.S. Navy as a Navy chaplain. Liam, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Tell me a little bit about you uh, and how you came to uh, become a candidate for the priesthood. Where are you from? Are you a cradle Catholic, a convert? Give me the background.
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm originally from Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm the fourth of five kids. But mom and dad, uh, they, yeah, they raised us all Catholic. We're actually two blocks away from our church and our school. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up going to Catholic schools, pre-K through high school, uh, St. Teresa's grade school and middle school, and then... Uh, Paisa 10th High School.
0: I can relate to the two blocks. I'm a cradle Catholic myself. I was born and raised in Columbus, Mississippi, and we were two blocks from the Catholic Church. I suspect you might have walked to Mass every now and then, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I remember getting a ride once to school. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, um, uh, Liam, how is it that you uh, discovered a, a vocation? I...
1: I had a great um, exposure, I think, to really good holy priests when I started serving Mass. Uh, So around the age of 10, around fourth grade um, at my church, and I had an older brother who served, and I always watched him and wanted to do exactly how he did it. And uh, so then when I had that responsibility myself, I was was gung-ho about it. I was all in. And being two blocks from the church, I was always, um, I was always called on to substitute and to uh, serve funerals and weddings. So that was definitely the first place where I saw a priest living a normal life, but then also his service at in the sacraments was a, a.
0: And so you went through high school. Did you go to Catholic high school? Yeah. And uh, how did you go to college after high school?
1: I did. I after I graduated high school, I went to the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. Uh, and I went there for two years and then that's where I really had my big, um, kind of opening up of what is, what's God calling me to do? Where is he, where's he directing me? So it started, um, well, I started at the Newman center, which is our Catholic parish actually on the campus. And I started working as a janitor there. So I would be in the chapel sweeping, mopping, uh, be in the, the, the hallway and, and hearing, um, hearing people talk about the effectiveness of the priest and, uh, yeah, it was it was just a powerful again uh, experience and exposure to good priests serving good people. So you're at the University of Nebraska. What were you studying? I started in business, very very open ended, just business administration. I thought, well, let's let's do something that makes money. Uh, and then as I <laughs> yeah, as I started to open up more into my faith and prayer, um, I started to ask myself, what do I actually want to do, and not just about money. And uh, so I I went into
0: psychology for the the second year and a half I was there. I guess the courses you took in business uh, would help you if you eventually become a pastor because there's a lot of business involved in being a pastor. Sure, if Uh, I can remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, two years then at the University of uh, Nebraska. and You'd switched over to psychology. What then? yeah
1: i i thought i'd you know taken a big step of saying okay i want to study psychology and then you know move forward with this and take my faith seriously and and yeah so in that i started to think you know i have I found the answer i found the plan but there's still an emptiness um and uh i dated a little while i was in college too and, and in high school and dated some great women and but as I, I was experiencing these relationships and these studies and psychology and these desires to help people, um, it started to feel like peace was being pulled from these good steps that I'd taken and was starting to be put somewhere else and I had to kind of step back, ask myself where is that peace going? And uh, so I, I did that in the midst of spiritual direction as well. And uh, it just slowly started to show its, the peace kind of started to show its way or show me my way towards the seminary and studying
0: uh, philosophy in that way. So. so, after two years at the University of Nebraska, where'd you go then? So, in the Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska,
1: we have a college seminary which uh, does both college degrees and then the pre-pre-theology program. Uh, so, it's called St. Gregory the Great Seminary, and it's uh, thirty minutes outside of the city of Lincoln. So. And
0: how long were you there? Are you still there?
1: No, I I spent three years there. Okay. Got my bachelor's degree in um, it's a bachelor's of arts in Thomistic philosophy, and then after that, I was assigned to Mount Saint Mary Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And that's where you are now. That's that's it. And how uh, far are how far along are you? Sure, I'm in third theology. So I've I'm in my third year, I guess, my uh, fifth semester at Mount. So you'll be ordained a transitional deacon next year. Yeah, in uh, May on uh, May twenty eighth, twenty twenty one, and priesthood in twenty twenty two. Yeah, actually, uh, interesting enough, on the same exact date, May twenty eighth. So it'll be easy to remember.
0: <laughs> so you've been working toward this goal now for five years.
1: Yeah, five, and working on the sixth. So,
0: tell me what life is like for you in the seminary, day in and day out. Walk me through a day.
1: Yeah. Um, my alarm goes off way too early and, uh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's usually a, the, a typical time. Um, a lot of guys get moving around the same time. Um, usually the water kettle goes on to make some coffee, the lights come on and, uh, what time, ta- what time I, I, my alarm goes off at four fifty. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, with the hopes of, uh, being awake enough to make it to chapel, to do some prayer before, before mass and, and morning prayers, a community. Uh, and Then after that, it's, it's the race to the breakfast line and uh, get some eggs, some bacon, and then spend some time with guys from my diocese. There's eight of us from the Diocese of Lincoln studying at the Mount, uh, so we spend some time there. That's out of a class of how many? In, at the Mount, in Third Theology, I believe we have 27. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two of us from um, Lincoln in that class, uh, uh-huh. but then there's five altogether from Lincoln in, in Third Theology around the country. Um, yeah, so then after breakfast and some community time we go to class. Usually have 2 to 4 classes a day with lunch in the middle. Um and then some days like today I'm at my pastoral field education assignment, PFE is for short. Uh, and so that's why I'm here working with the tribunal at the AMS. So.
0: Yeah, you're coming in uh, to the pastoral center once a week roughly? Yeah, once every 2 weeks is trying to. Know. And uh once every 2 weeks and yeah. you're working in the tribunal. Yeah. Do you have any aspirations of becoming a canon lawyer? Um, I don't think
1: I'm allowed to answer that no, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no I, I I've enjoyed um, I
1: really enjoy Father Rutherford's approach to his work um, and we're talking Father Mark
0: Rutherford the uh, judicial vicar here at the Archdiocese for the military service. Correct yeah
1: he's um, yeah and I, I've enjoyed my studies in law, and I've enjoyed shadowing him. It's been a great uh, great experience. Um, But we'll we'll see where the Lord takes me, what he wants me to keep doing. So So you're taking a course in canon law, or have? I have taken one. uh, Next semester, I'll take another one.
0: What other courses are you taking this semester?
1: This semester, uh, it's pretty scripture, uh, heavy in scripture. So I have a class uh, on the Gospel of Luke and the Book of the Acts of the Apostles. Another course I'm taking is uh, the Gospel of John in Greek, Um, so I have a book that with the scriptures in Greek and then another translation to kind of help. And we, we just talk about the differences and the syntax of the sentence and what it might mean, what it might, uh, how it might get lost in translation. Are you Are reading the gospel in Greek? Trying to, trying to. It's a, <laughs> it's a big, uh, I guess John's pretty, his Greek's pretty easy. I don't, I don't know, I'm not able to judge too well. But um, And then I'm also taking a class in Christology, the theology of the God-man, really, Jesus uh, both the eternal word, but then also Jesus of Nazareth. Um, let's see. Oh, I hope my professors
0: aren't listening. They. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I'm sure it all kind of runs together a little bit until you get the books cracked, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. How challenging is it to approach your faith from a strictly cerebral point of view, which I, I'm sure that some of your courses require you to do? You mean in a very academic way, an intellectual Correct. way? Yeah, as opposed to lo- having a holistic approach when you read the gospel and applying it to your life. Mm-hmm. Instead, you're studying it as, a, as an ancient text. Mm-hmm. Um, does that require some gear shifting, or uh, how do you go about that? In a way, I would say, yeah. It,
1: uh, it's different than just being in a, in a catechism class as a kid any longer. You're actually diving into... Um, the, the truths of the faith, not made up by the church from, um, you know, just because they're convenient, but actually the, the realities written into creation that, I mean, where did it all come from but the one God who created it all? Uh, and so you're, as you dive into these um, truths, you're realizing God put them there before any of us. Or you know, They're just written into what he created in his creation. And, and uh, so it does take a shift because you're, you're diving in, and you're finding God and his rationality, his, his, um, I don't know, his signatures on everything, you know? And so it, it is a different, uh, it's no longer just being spoon fed. Like this is, this is true. This is good. This is bad. Don't do it. This is good. Do it. It's actually diving into the whys and the hows, And, and um, and ultimately it's beautiful because you do find God there too,
0: um, uh, Uh, You mentioned you're taking a course in uh, St. Luke and uh, the Acts of the Apostles, which Mm -hmm. is really sort of like a second book of St. Luke. Right. Uh, Any surprises there, anything you've learned that you didn't know, or uh, maybe what you've learned uh, led to a deeper understanding of what Luke was talking about? Can you pull anything out of the hat and share with us?
1: Yeah. um, Oh, man. That's a good one. I just had Luke Acts today. Well, so. well,
0: well, for example, you know, St. Luke was widely believed to be a physician, correct? Right, right, Why do we know that? It says it of him um, in different
1: places. Uh, and then if, I haven't particularly studied this, but uh, if you look at his Greek, apparently it's much more complicated and higher of a Greek um, actual syntax than John. And so that would lead to... People saying he's more highly educated, but I know he is called the physician in uh, in certain places. I wish I could
0: pull up the exact quote. Are, are there any stylistic similarities that you've come across that uh, have made you understand why they think that Acts was written by the Luke, the gospel writer?
1: Yeah, the the intro it says you know the second book of you know I wrote to you the first book and and that was assumed to be the gospel and then. Second book is the Acts. And, and then uh, our professor, he's a Pauline. He loves Pauline literature. I believe his dissertation's from Ephesians. Anyway, he, he loves the continuity between the gospel and the book of the Acts of the Apostles because he sees Paul behind it. And, and Luke was said to be a follower of Paul. So really, you're, when you're reading Luke, you're reading what
0: Paul was doing. So. Now, how was it that you came to be interested in the chaplaincy? Um, my, my father was a Marine, uh,
1: and then he, my father's the eighth of nine kids and the two oldest are Marines as well. So I remember sitting at their feet, listening to stories. Um, the oldest two ended up being, they were pilots in the Vietnam war. So we'd hear, uh, some of their stories and some of their experiences. And and then dad served in the reserves in Nebraska. And, um, there was always a pride about pride and respect for the services and the idea that this is somebody laying aside the normal way of life and the, the conveniences to protect certain people. And those people were my family and, you know, my neighbors and, and those around me. So it started there. Um, similarly, my, both my grandfathers were in the Navy. So I had the connection with the Marine Corps and then a uh, connection with the Navy.
0: Um, and it, yeah, it just a rich family tradition, I think was part of it. And when you discerned a call to priesthood, Was the chaplaincy in the equation at that point, or was it later that you developed an interest in the military chaplaincy?
1: Yeah, specifically the chaplaincy. um, When I was discerning seminary and the priesthood, I wouldn't say it was part of it at the start. Um, I wouldn't say I was closed off to it or really even thought of it as an option right away. But as I think it was my second year, I uh, was a little more exposed to the idea of a chaplain actually being embedded in with the active duty services and that's where the flame kind of started and uh yeah
0: well i'm sure i speak with uh, speak for many uh, in thanking you for considering a uh uh, uh considering service in the uh, u.s navy as a chaplain because as you know i'm sure we have a tremendous shortage of uh chaplains Absolutely. in the military um so uh when did you uh, approach the archdiocese for the military services and uh, discuss the possibility of you uh, embarking on a uh, on a vocation as a, or the vocation within a vocation right. as a U.S. Navy chap? So I was an, um, greatly
1: exposed to it when I arrived at the Mount. The Mount has quite a few co-sponsored seminarians. I hadn't even heard of the program at that point uh, until I showed up at the at the Mount, um, and then once. I continued to feel that call towards um, serving as a chaplain in some way. I spoke with our director of seminarians from the Diocese of Lincoln. His name is Father Brian Kane, and he's actually an army chaplain. I think he's been on this podcast. Um, but uh, I spoke with him, and he gave me some great advice. He said, in speaking with you, this seems real and, uh, and genuine, but you're only in first theology. Uh, you know that's, There's plenty of time left in formation. What if you write a letter to the bishop now, explaining exactly how you're feeling and and um, how you think the Lord's bringing this to your life and then let's sit on that letter and, and present it to him when you're uh, you know maybe in a year's time so I I did that I wrote the letter around Thanksgiving and um, I thought it encompassed the, what I was feeling the calls that I'd heard and um, kind of the the fire the desire within me to actually respond to this in a positive way and then um, once I wrote the letter it kind of went away and I didn't think about it for a while uh, and then that summer after my first theology year, I went to Guatemala to study Spanish, uh, be immersed in, this, in the language and the culture, and I was sitting in a, a Franciscan church's adoration chapel, reading about a, uh, Father Walter Chiswick, who was a, a Jesuit priest who served in Russia, and all I could think about was the United States Navy. I was like, where, where is this coming from? Um, <laughs> you know, Lord, what's happening? And uh, so it came up again, and so when I got home from Guatemala, I told that to Father Cain. And he said, well, that's powerful and beautiful. That's incredible. You know, let's, you know, you could write this down and we could present that with the bishop. And then the next day, I had a call from the diocesan MC asking uh, if I could... What is MC? Yeah, Master of Ceremonies. That's right. Um, asking me if I could drive the bishop to a mass. Uh, and I said, oh, sure. Yeah, that's, that's fine. And he goes, by the way, the mass is four hours away in Trenton, Nebraska. I was like, oh, <laughs> So all of a sudden, I found myself with eight hours uninterrupted with the the, the Bishop of Lincoln, and um, so so I, more than you can fill small talk. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and he's a very personal man, um, and very interested in us, in our formation. Um, so I knew the the c- topic could come up. So I spoke with Father Kane again, the director of seminarians, and he said, "Well, I think the Lord wants you to, to talk talk to the Bishop about this." And, so after about two hours of beating around the bush and being nervous, mm-hmm. I finally uh, brought it up to him. And he was, um, I, one line that sticks out with me is, he said he's learned that when he's generous with the Lord, with what's been given to him, the Lord returns and is generous back. Um, and uh, that was his beginning to say, let's pray together about this for the next couple months. So this was your
0: second year in seminary?
1: This was my second year in, in theological seminary. So right. it was actually my uh, my uh, fourth Fourth
0: to fifth year, gotcha. uh, that the ball got rolling. And okay, so uh, you, when did do you make contact uh, with the, what either Father Aidan Logan, the vocations director, or Archbishop Timothy Brolio? Who, who did you approach first?
1: I had met Father Aidan my first year at the seminary. Um, some of the co-sponsored guys said he was visiting and said, you know, you've you've mentioned you're interested. Why don't you just talk to him because he has the but you know he knows how to. Uh, communicate about this, and it's it's his job. So once the bishop gave me the green light, I called Father Aiden, and he put me in contact with a Navy recruiter because that's the the permission I'd been given, and and uh,
0: so the ball just got rolling from there. And... So you you contacted the Navy recruiter. Are you now in the reserves? Yeah, I'm. A, I'm in the Chaplain
1: Candidate Program Officer uh, program, I guess, so a CCPO.
0: And what's involved with that? Do you have to go off every now and then and train for weeks at a time, or how does that go? Well, I haven't yet, and I haven't gotten in trouble, so I hope
1: not. Um, but I, what I know is I believe we're classified as IRR, inactive um, inactive reserve. I commissioned in January of, of last year of 20, I guess it was this year, 2020. And then the plan is to attend a five-week officer development school. Uh, that was supposed to happen in the summer, but the pandemic canceled that. So now we just, we wait. I have to finish my formation, and there's a chance I'll get to go this winter, but um, that probably won't happen. Um,
0: Yeah. So five weeks, where is that? It's up in Rhode Island, in Port Rhode Island. Well, that would be a nice place to spend some time, right?
1: In the summer, yeah. In the winter, it might be a little cold.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I ask this uh, to um, nearly all the seminarians who come in for a podcast. Uh, The Gospel preaches a message of peace, mm-hmm. and you're going into the military whose mission is to wage war. How do you resolve that conflict? Uh, not easily. <laughs> the, um,
1: something that I've, I've realized, I think, is all war starts with somebody or some group that in a way are deprived in their heart of, of good, uh, not all good, but um, any, from that deprivation they get to a point where they violate the innocence or the, um, uh, the protection of other people, um, and they begin to take advantage. So it's, it's it seems, and historically it seems to be that way. And so when war is waged justly in response to that, the people that are def- going to defend and to respond to those who first uh, created or did an act of war, it seems like they're going to protect the innocent, protect peace and justice, and um, and right law hopefully. And so within that, to put a chaplain within um, the responders, those are the defenders of peace and, and justice, it seems the chaplain needs to be right in the middle with a full heart, an undivided heart on the Lord, and able to share that and keep the hearts of, of the soldiers full. Um, and so whether or not the, um, well, the, the i, I The war begins with, it seems, an act of injustice, and so we always have to respond with justice. And it's hard to be just if you're not aligned with the Lord, especially in your heart. And uh, so I think that's the mission of the the chaplain, to be
0: in the midst of them, keeping their hearts aligned. I'm talking to Liam O'Shea Creel, a co-sponsored seminarian, uh, on track to become a U.S. Navy chaplain. What do I mean when I say co-sponsored seminarian? What is that? What is a co-sponsorship? Mm-hmm. So every seminarian, diocesan seminarian,
1: has their home diocese who, when the seminarian feels a call to the priesthood, they approach the vocations office, they say, I feel like I have a genuine call from the Lord to discern the priesthood. So the diocese decides to sponsor them and um, make an agreement about their formation and their, their um, education. So that's, that's the, the home kind of. Uh, diocesan, diocesan agreement, and then to throw in the co-sponsorship um, brings in the archdiocese for the military, who has a great need for chaplains, and those chaplains come from not a a, a location, but rather, or a, a, you know, a, a very specified diocesan location, but rather from all over the country, the same place that the, the military members are coming from, and so the the archdiocese for the military. Um, they decide to co-sponsor uh, and pay for part of the formation and support the seminarian in their pursuit of the and priesthood and also to support the, the home diocese,
0: for me, Lincoln, Nebraska, in, in our pursuit of the priesthood together. So in your case, the Archdiocese for the Military Services and the Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska, is a diocese, not an archdiocese. Correct. Uh, together, uh, fund your Multi-year uh, seminary education. Correct. Yeah. And as a, a, at the at the back end, uh, when you, when you're ordained a priest, you'll go back to Lincoln and spend what three years in pastoral service there. Then you'll be free to uh, come to the military for either specified or unspecified time. Yeah. At least five years we're talking about. But Correct. some some priests come in and they make a career out of it. Right. Uh, so um, okay. So. Uh, Liam, how old are you, if you don't mind I asking? I'm, I'm 25. I'll be 26 in a couple weeks. Very inspiring to meet a young man like you who seems to have his act together and, and on matters spiritual and otherwise. We live in a society where we see encroaching secularization everywhere, right. and the military included. Uh, have you thought much about uh, how you're going to deal with that when you become a priest in a military chapel? Actually, yeah, I, it,
1: it takes me back to one of my religion classes in high school. I had a great priest as a teacher, and he did an exercise with us uh, where he had us uh, write down our, one of our favorite songs. And then the homework for that song was to, or the, the homework for that class was to take the song, print out its lyrics, and actually ask, what is this song saying? So some people presented some nice songs. They were saying some beautiful nearly poetic things and then other songs were awful and then and then there were songs in the middle that were neutral um and then he he presented a kind of funny but a a principle that i've held on to is um one the only way to boil a frog is you slowly warm up the water you can't just drop a frog into hot water or else it leaps out and it seemed odd for him to say that in the midst of talking about music but then he talked about the culture and he said one way you change the culture, culture is you slowly turn up the temperature on things, uh, immoral, immoral things or um, relative ideas. And so slowly through uh, relativism, either in doctrine or, or morality or, uh, you know, etc. the culture has slowly turned off its compass, its dial, its conscience to immoral things or doctrines that just don't work. And secularization has crept in. Uh, and so, I think, for me at least, in that experience with that class, music was the, a good starting point because music's a powerful tool, a powerful um, experience. And so, if a, a minister or a, a chaplain, a priest, can call to mind um, people in their choice of music or their media, and start the ball rolling that way, they can uh, say no to any relativistic ideas and fill themselves with good, uh, good ideas. Good self
0: identification and and growth through through the media that way. It's like the the, the culture has become desensitized exactly over a period of time to what's right and wrong. Right. Well, thank you so much, um, uh, Liam O'Shea Creel, a co-sponsored seminarian uh, on track to become a U.S. Navy chaplain. Uh, thank you for your service, and uh, we pray for your um, continued. Uh, uh, education and edification and uh, steady uh, progress toward your uh, priestly ordination in 2022. And hopefully by 2025, you'll be out on the ships. right? Yeah, I hope so. All right. Um, the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA, the AMS, was established by Pope St. John Paul II in 1985. Permission to provide for the free exercise of Catholic faith in the U.S. military, VA medical centers, the civilian workforce employed by the federal government beyond U.S. borders, and the families of those populations, making the AMS the church's only truly global archdiocese. Among pastoral services provided by the AMS under Archbishop Timothy Brolio: celebration of the sacraments, endorsement of chaplains, evangelization and religious education, sacramental record-keeping, a thriving seminarian program, pastoral visitation by the bishops to military installations worldwide, and more. All told, 1.8 million Catholics all over the world depend on the AMS, based in Washington, D.C., to meet their spiritual and sacramental needs. The AMS receives no government funding. She depends entirely on private gifts for survival. For more information, visit www.millarch.org.